You are listening to the cycling podcast of the 2023 Tour de France. Today we are in Bilbao. Well, that was the sound of the Basque fans at the start outside the football stadium, the home of Athletic Club de Bilbao, counting down to signal the start of the 2023 Tour de France. And here we are. My name is Lionel Burney. This is a cycling podcast, and we're going to be with you until Paris. Not quite with us until Paris is Mitch Docker, but welcome, Mitch. You're going to be telling us what life is really like in the peloton, aren't you? You're rocking the the Basque beret. You've been rocking that beret since we got here in Bilbao yesterday. Why not? Why not? When in Rome, as I say, like if I wear that some outside of here, people will look at me strangely. Yet you can walk down the street here in this, and you no one even flutters an eyelid. You know, it's yeah. just everybody fit believes in. you're Basque. I, I mean, do that's for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> no it's, worries. it's the combination though Mitch it's the moustache the mullet the beret it's the perfect look for the Grand Depart weekend of the Tour de France and of course we are here with Francois Tomazo still insisting that this is his final Tour de France it uh, is. Uh, yeah it is. well some of the things you've said today suggest <laughs> that your dislike of the kind of humid press room and the crowded area outside the team buses I'm starting to believe you sadly Francois but hopefully recording the podcast and having some dinner together will uh, tempt you back to the tour in future okay, years. I'll be back on the tour only for a tour of restaurants then. <laughs> <laughs> Fine by me, Francois. Fine by me. Where are we, Francois, this evening? We're on Plaza Barilla. That's uh, in, the, in the very center of downtown Bilbao. Uh, it's, it's one of those squares, you know, where you have everywhere in Spain with archives and uh, bars and terraces. And yeah, it's very, very bustling and busy with people with uh, polka dot uh, t-shirts and stuff. We're, yeah, we're where it's at. We are where it's at. Yeah, I like it when we record like this. We're competing with the kind of ambient mm. noise of everyone having a really enjoyable Saturday night. They've uh, all enjoyed the Tour de France. And what a stage it was, I guess. We ought to get on with the business of the day, the tale of the attack. It's time for the tale of the attack. Well, if you weren't called Yates... Today, you didn't have a chance in the Tour de France. It was a 1-2 for the Yates brothers, Berry's finest, with uh, Adam Yates of UAE Team Emirates getting the better of his brother, Simon Yates, on the final run-in to the line. That means that Adam Yates will wear the yellow jersey in the Tour de France tomorrow. Quite surprised, actually, that that was his first Grand Tour stage win. Mm. And when you look at the two brothers and their palmares, Simon has had the more impactful career so far I would suggest but it is Adam who has the yellow jersey tomorrow and really what a finale it was I was expecting a bit more in the way of fireworks early on but in fact the break went early on and just sort of floated away five riders were in it Lillian Kalmajan of Antamarche Pascal Inkhorn of Lotto Destiny Jonas Gregor of Uno X, Valentin Ferron of Total Energies, and the birthday boy, Simon Guglielmi of Happy Arkea. Happy birthday, Lionel Burney. Uh, thank you yeah. very much, Francois. <laughs> you're going to say uh, yourself, the birthday uh, boy, Lionel Burney, yeah, slipped I wasn't in the break. In the break. I, wasn't, I don't know if you noticed, I wasn't in the break today. Uh, I think there were three birthday boys in the peloton today. The other two were Matteo Jorgensen and Jordi Meus. So, uh, yeah, I'm in some fine company there, as well as the late Princess Diana, who shares a birthday with me, or do I share a birthday with her? I don't know. But thank you very much for your best wishes. And, well, my present this morning was inflatable numbers at the 
four and eight to mark my age, sadly, and a, a kind of cuddly lion face inflatable, which is the closest I'm going to get to one of those Credit Lyonnais lions that the stage winners at the Tour de France uh, we get. We didn't know you were 84, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I only look 84, but I'm actually 48, Francois. I'll save you from doing the joke there. Anyway, the break was away on their big loop around the Basque countryside before coming back into Bilbao, 182 kilometres. The lead really only got to a couple of minutes at the maximum, and it came down and down and down as they approached the final three climbs. And with 50k to go, with those three climbs to still go everything was all back together and well it really kicked off big time on that final climb didn't it it was Felix Grosschartner Tadej Pogacar's teammate on UAE Team Emirates of course who went hardest first he opened a gap and looked almost surprised for a moment that he got a gap looked round wondering what to do but that really kick-started things and as they went over the top it was Pogacar Adam Yates Vingegaard, Jonas Vingegaard, the defending champion, of course, and the surprise package, perhaps, Victor Lafay of Kofidis. They were the four that went clear. And then Simon Yates of Jaco Alula got across. And then, in the blink of an eye, the two Yates brothers were away, as if they were on a kind of training ride when they were kids in the Lancashire countryside. And very soon after the descent, as the gap hovered around sort of 12, 15 seconds, it started to look like they might have it all to themselves with Jumbo Visma chasing behind. On the final climb, well, as we'll hear from Simon Yates, he cramped up a little bit coming to the line and it was Adam Yates who'd been playing the teammate for Pogacar who won the stage. The next group came in and Pogacar got the sprint and gave a victory salute as well, uh, claiming a little slice of the victory today. Then came Thibaut Pino and Mike Woods. There are actually 14 riders in the first group and a gap of 33 seconds to the rest who were the losers though well Danny Martinez of Ineos Grenadiers lost 3 minutes 33 but the first significant crash of the race uh, claimed uh, Enric Mass the first rider to abandon so Movistar have mm. lost their team leader also in that crash was Richard Carapaz and uh, he did get back on his bike and finished 15 minutes down so tomorrow Adam Yates in yellow Simon Yates will wear the green jersey. Pogacar will be in white as best young rider. And Nielsen Paulis mm. will be in polka dots after winning the second category climb on the run into the finish. But what a humdinger of a day. And let's hear from Simon Yates, the slightly disappointed of the two Yates brothers. Yeah, it was uh, a bit tricky just getting into the, into the climb there. And it was just me and Harper who were uh, trying to position ourselves. It wasn't easy against teams who have the numbers, you know. Jumbo and those guys, they have uh, four or five guys, which is a bit difficult to, to position ourselves, but um, we did a good job and then um, I was caught a little bit behind when they made the first, in, when UAE made the first uh, initial uh, sort of push and I couldn't get around because the crowds are so big, <laughs> but that's how it goes, so sort of grovel my way across just at just the last, managed to make a junction at the top with uh, those fast boys and then uh, yeah there was a bit of a cat and mouse over top and Adam came back he sort of rolled to the front and gave Pogaccio the nod as in like oh can I go what's, what's the situation yeah sure okay so he's gone and I've gone across to him and uh, that's all she wrote really at first he uh, when he saw it was me coming across I think he was uh, he was put in a difficult situation maybe because uh, 
yeah, he asked on the radio straight away, like, oh, what do I do? Can I, can I roll through? And at first he was, he wasn't, uh, wasn't pulling, but I kind of knew that anyway. I knew it was going to be uh, tricky, but at the same time, I had to take an opportunity where, you know, normally in a finish like that, I would not be Pogacar or Vinegar or these guys in a, in a real fast sprint. So to get away with Adam, maybe there's a chance. Pretty close normally, but uh, yeah, I had some cramps in the final, but just a bit, really humid day. Um, so unfortunately, he got the better of me, but I'm sure there's more chances coming up. Simon, we don't usually like to ask you about your brother, but we have to today. Um, were there some mixed feelings? I mean, elation at seeing him win and disappointment for yourself? Yeah, I just said when I got the bus then, I mean, uh, difficult to have somebody, you know, who, you know, I'm pretty pleased with him, of course. Uh, it's first uh, stage of the tour, first grand tour stage. So of course I'm ecstatic, ecstatic for him, but I also wanted to win with quite competitive. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'll try and get better of him in, better of him in, the, in the coming days. And a few flashbacks to whether to when you've done that thousands of times, I guess, when you were when you were kids, teenagers growing up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not even just in racing and training as well. And I have a fantastic relationship with my brother. So, uh, like I said, really happy for him. And uh, yeah, I'll stick it to him in the coming days. I know your parents always watch the races. Who, who do you think they wanted to win? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They're out on course somewhere. I didn't, I didn't manage to see them though. It was a bit too hectic. So, I think they're following the race all the way. So, uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll see uh, see us come past tomorrow. That's Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode of our tour coverage is sponsored by GCN Plus. Now, I was watching the GCN coverage on my laptop in the press room this afternoon, tuning into the excellent commentary from Rob Hatch, Carlton Kirby, Sean Kelly, Robbie McEwen, Dan Lloyd, and the rest of the team. And all of our listeners in the UK can save 15% off an annual GCN Plus subscription. Go to gcn.eu slash cycling15 to subscribe. That's cycling15. Now, obviously, the GCN coverage is second to none because they show every stage from kilometre zero to the finish line and if you can't watch the action live there's a series of highlights packages that you can choose from depending on how much time you've got available you could even watch the whole stage in its entirety on demand if you so wish but if you haven't got that amount of time you can watch long short or just the final few kilometres in highlight form and if you're interrupted whilst watching the Tour de France very inconvenient I know you can pause the action go and deal with whatever you have to deal with and then come back to it or if there's a really significant incident and you're not sure what's happened you can rewind the action on the GCN Plus app and watch it all again so go to gcn.eu slash cycling15 and you can get 15% off an annual GCN Plus subscription if you're in the UK well, Francois, I'd like to say that it was a surprise that Adam and Simon Yates were up the road there together. But actually, last night when we were talking about the stage, I tipped Simon Yates as a potential stage winner. And, well, had it, had it transpired, our friend Simon Gill, the photographer, would have been considerably richer because he placed a bet on Simon Yates to win the stage. Unfortunately, didn't quite come off for him. Yeah, there, there were, there were a, a, a few factors, you know... Uh, playing up for 
Adam, I mean, we know he's in great shape. He proved it, you know, finishing second in the Dauphiné. Uh, also, as he, as he explained at the press conference, uh, he, he didn't have to work when the two, you know, broke clear because Tadej Pogacar was behind and could come back and claim the, the stage. As we saw, he finished third, so he could have done that. So he, he told his brother, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to work. I can't work. And then, like... Three or four Ks before the, the finish line, uh, he, he got you know instructions from the, his ear piece that yeah okay well you know it's a mess down uh, behind they're, they're they're fighting but nobody's taking any initiative so you, you can go for it and that's when he went and 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 he said that that's probably when Simon lost it because he he done mm. the hardest part of the job you know getting clear and and then well you know. Adam Yates just had to deliver. So, yeah, I mean, you, it's always been the kind of a question we've asked ourselves, you know. Uh, it's like identical twins, which is which one is the more identical? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, it's a kind of a silly joke we make in, fr in, in French, you know. Uh, but, yeah, so, uh, Simon, you know, for long, the period as the, probably the, the, strong, the stronger guy, especially in Grand Tours. But... But Adam knew the terrain. I mean, you know, one of the greatest wins of his career was in the Classica San Sebastian in the similar terrain. So, yeah, I, I think it was a very even uh, match there. Uh, and, and, and probably only the circumstances of the, of the race and, and also the strengths of the UAE team made the difference. Mm. I wanted to just insist we'll probably get back to that. But today we expected, you know, Jumbo Visma to take advantage of uh, Pogacar so you know so called poor form or you know still 70% form because of his broken wrist so we expected Jumbo Visma to try and topple Pogacar and it went totally the other way around and uh, uh, in the first of these 21 rounds uh, well first round goes to UAE it does it does but Mitch as they came into the finish together the two brothers what did you think? Who did you think would have the upper hand on that final rise to the line? I was actually envisioning how many times have these two guys, as they were growing up, gone through this scenario as kids, going, you know, because I've done it myself on my own, but imagine having a brother there to just be riding along a road and imagining, oh, imagine we came to the finish at a Tour de France stage and then just, you know, commentating it and sprinting for a town sign and, oh, I won, I just won a stage of the Tour de France. I don't know if they ever did that, but I'm imagining something like that happened as they grew up, and this is happening for real. I, surely they've got a, they would have had a moment today where it was just like, I can't believe that just happened. We rode together. We had to fight it out to the end of a Tour de France stage. I'm sure they've done the hypothetical. What's going to happen one day when we get to the finish of a Tour de France stage? How are we going to battle it out? Yeah, I mean, no gift. So, I mean, there was no chance of them coming to the line like Bernardino and Greg LeMond at Alpe <laughs> in 1986, you know, hand in hand, or doing a Jumbo Visma, the one, two, three, and kind of sorting it out and amongst themselves. I mean, it was a proper race, wasn't yeah. it? And Simon Yates, as he said, he cramped up, and that was the difference, really. Hot, Did he humid cramp? day. Did he cramp? That's a question. Adam's never won a Grand Tour stage. Simon's That's got right. a few. Maybe he just said, hey, bro, yeah. maybe you get a stage today. And as a lot of people have said, it's fairly rare that they've gone head-to-head -head in many races. I mean, I was looking back through the results, and, of course, you know, they came up through the British 
junior mm. system. Uh, you know, they were fourth and fifth together in the British Junior Road Race Championships in 2009. Simon finished fourth, Adam finished fifth. But, I mean, you would expect that with two clearly very talented brothers in a junior category. They, in fact, finished first and second in a stage of the Tour de l'Avenir in Morzine in 2013. Simon won that one. Adam was second. And uh, m more recently, last year, at Paris-Nice, Simon was second overall and Adam was fourth overall. But really, they've never had the opportunity to race head-to-head -head against one another. Even well, when they're on the same team, the Orica Green Edge team, their programmes were kept quite mm. separate because they had, although very similar riders, they had different objectives. Uh, one was going for GC, one going for stages, even when they were in the same races. And then when Adam left the team and went first to Ineos and then on to UAE, they've not really gone head-to-head -to -head too often. So to see them both up the road like that today was pretty remarkable. And one man who knows them probably better than most is Matt White, the sports director of Jayco Alula, obviously on this occasion rooting for Simon Yates. Uh, but this is what he said at the finish. Matt, you've probably known the Yates brothers longer than pretty much anybody in professional cycling. When they were coming into the finish line there together, did you think it was more likely to be Adam or more likely to be Simon that would get the win? Uh, well, I'm a glass half full kind of person, so I was certainly hoping it was Simon. Uh, they, are, they are so, well, they're twins and their characteristics and their numbers and everything is very, very similar. Um, so it wouldn't have been a surprise whoever won, really. And it's obviously those sort of arrivals who's who's saved a little bit more who's done a little bit less now i noticed adam was working on the climb to to really push the pace and then got distance simon came across to the group so they both had obviously hard rides i didn't see how they eventually slipped away i think it was probably just uh, you know, people looking at each other and and uh, one went then the other one got across but uh yeah it, it could have gone either way and it's gone adam's way today you said that when they were both on your team, you used to keep them apart, so they didn't really race against one another. Yep. Probably the first time we've seen them go head-to-head -head like that. Yeah, it is. It is, because uh, even last year, the last couple of years when uh, when Adam was on Ineos, again, they didn't have programs. Now, Simon's done you know, five or six Giros in a row. Adam hasn't been to the Giro for six or seven years. And then uh, when they have gone to the Tour de France before, one was there for stages, one was there for general classification. So they've always had different goals and uh, yeah, probably was the first time they've gone head-to-head -head as professionals today. I mean, they're brothers, they love each other, of course, but there's a ruthless streak in both of them, isn't there? I mean, just remind me of the story from the Tour of Turkey. Um, do you remember that one where one of the brothers had crashed? Simon and crashed and broke his collarbone and uh, Adam ended up winning the Tour. But, yeah, no, I don't remember the, the, the story behind it. I just remember, that, I just remember those two... Uh, that was the, one of their first tours and uh, Adam's first victory uh, with us. I think you said that you, you said, oh, your brother's crashed. And he said, keep your eyes on the race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, they, 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 I've been also been in a team car where one was, one was winning in Paranese and one was winning, in, they won on the same day, one in Paranese and one in Toronto. And the other, and I'm pretty sure it was, I had Adam with me at the time and he wanted to know how Simon was going over in Paranese in the jersey. So during the race. So, yeah, they are tight brothers. Um, but, yeah, they, they're both winners, that's for sure. And lastly for me, I mean, second place on the stage, well-placed, another very similar San Sebastian classic-style stage tomorrow. Gives you possibilities, I guess? Yeah, I think uh, the climb is longer tomorrow, um, but there's also more time for riders to come back. I think it's 16 kilometres off, uh, off the back of the ice gibble. Uh, it all depends on how hard they go and how selective it is. There was a couple of guys who I would have expected to be there today uh, who weren't. 
but it certainly uh, gives more opportunity for someone like Walt tomorrow, uh, because obviously he's climbing very well. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Jumbo, uh, you know, obviously come here to win the tour, but they want to give they want to give uh, Walt some opportunities, and it's a very good one for him tomorrow. Well, Francois, we mentioned there, Matt White and I, the Tour of Turkey, I think in 2014, where it was Simon Yates who crashed on stage three and broke his shoulder and was out of the race. Adam was in contention to win overall, and, uh, well, Adam had thoughts only on getting the result. I mean, obviously, he would have cared that his brother was OK, but there's definitely a ruthless streak to the pair of them. He did actually win the Tour of, Tur- the Tour of Turkey, and I remember it was, it was kind of funny because he... Uh, how can I put it? I, w- I went to see it the day before the, we, we, we traveled to Istanbul for the last stage. He was on the, on, the, on the port there. I took a picture of him and I went to talk to him and I said, so uh, how does it feel you know, to be the leader of a you know, stage race uh, at your age? And he said, uh, I'm not sure I like it. I said, well, you, you, you'd better get used to it. He mm. said, well, what don't you like about it? And he said, the media attention, he said, you know. And <laughs> so well, he's telling you to get away. <laughs> yeah, yeah in, in a way, yeah. And, but I, once again, I said, well, you know, you'd better get used to it because you, well, we thought, you know, we, we'd see more of it. And we, and we did. And uh, so he won the Tour of Turkey, the, you know, that, that year. And, uh, and, and, and we didn't actually know at the time. It was funny because at the time, Adam had better results than Simon when everybody said that Simon was probably the mo- most promising of the two. And as you said, they, they kind of became, they kind, kind of became quite different in the way that you know Simon went. Well, obviously won the Grand Tour. Uh, you know, was in contention to win the Giro, uh, but uh, Adam was more like the yeah the, the probably a Tour de France rider, finished mm. fourth one one year, and now maybe to level the field between them. I mean, it would be nice to see Adam hand over the yellow jersey to Simon because I, because Adam already held the yellow jersey in the Tour de France. Remember when Julien Alaphilippe was uh, got a 20-second suspension, uh, you know, fine, and 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 Adam Yates had already gone back to the bus, you know, changed and suddenly you know learned that he was he was holding the yellow jersey. So it's the second time. He's got it, and Simon has never had the yellow jersey on the tour, so but he had stage wins. So yeah, maybe you know who knows what can happen tomorrow. Do you think that is the plan? They've been sort of mastering up, mastering <laughs> up. Like you get the stage today, give me the jersey tomorrow. It's not too bad. I mean, what were they like as kids? That's the key. Did they have to get the same Christmas and birthday present so there was no squabbling, no fighting? Mm. I mean, this is a fascinating kind of uh, insight into the Yates family. Interesting that. Uh, their parents are here watching the race. It'd be really fascinating to know what was going through their mind as the, their two children were riding up the hill towards uh, a Tour de France stage win. I mean, you can't have favourites, can you? Mm. I mean, I've only got one child, Mitch, so I've obviously got one favourite. You've got more than one child, Mitch. Mm. You can't have favourites. Mm. And to quote, to quote Adam, you know, he said, uh, he said, well, you know, because he was asked if they communicated, if there was a plan beforehand, and he. And Adam said, well, you know, we're very close, obviously. This is a guy I've been talking to every day for the past 20 years. <laughs> so obviously they're close. And then he said, uh, well, you know, he's in great shape, even if, if we don't train always together anymore. But he's in great shape, as you, uh, even if we chose different paths. And he said something that made him laugh and made me laugh too. He said, you can be sure he's going to be a pain in the ass in the coming days. So maybe that's where the plan is. I mean, what does this mean for the race, though? Because conventional wisdom is that the, the 
the big favourites don't want to have the pressure of defending the yellow jersey too early in the race. Now, while it's not on the shoulders of Tadej Pogacar, they have got the yellow jersey to defend tomorrow. I mean, how will they be approaching that, Mitch? Yeah, well, they, that's like exactly what you said. They don't want to be starting to use their resources already defending the jersey and riding on the front. It could be a nice tactic that they really just go, we don't even need this jersey, you know? We're happy to let it go, take that back seat. Like you said, Adam's already had the jersey before. It's not like, you know, we need to hang on to this just because, you know, to respect that he's got the jersey. There was no plan to get the jersey today. There was no, like, when you look at the last climb, I'm diffusing off the question here, but you look at the last climb, Adam Yates was clearly in for the job. He was the guy smashing it up that climb for Bogacha. So how will the team approach this? I think they're going to put their hands up and go, we're happy to pass the jersey on to whoever takes it. We do not want to get responsibility now. We do not need our guys' troops on the front now. Um, of course, they're not just going to let it go wild, but if Simon Yates takes the jersey, that's a great scenario for them because Jaco Alula, they're going to try and harness that jersey for as long as they can and protect it and keep and hang on to it. Maybe we could see a transfer. The cycling podcast at the 2023 Tour de France is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Producer Tom stepping in here to tell you, well, to thank, actually, Science in Sport for their continued support of all the things we do here at the Cycling Podcast. And one thing they also support, as well as us, is a race called the Tour de Lunsar, which takes place every year in Sierra Leone. It was the subject of the most recent episode of Service Course. And here, Science in Sport CEO Stephen Moon tells us how he got involved. On my personal social feed, I got a message from a young man called Tennessee Dixon in, um, in Sierra Leone. And he was actually asking me for ideas on how he could get riding kit out there to Sierra Leone. Um, and then I, I didn't think a lot of it. And then I went and looked at his social feed and I went and looked at his club's social feed and I saw riders with another way of dealing with punches. They would tie off the inner tube with string and then refit it with string. And um, yeah, that led me to do something personally, actually, outside of SIS. I, I, I set up a crowdfund and, um, yeah, we raised a reasonable about, a, a amount of money to send inner tubes and other bits of kit out to Sierra Leone. Um, and obviously, I used some trade contacts to make sure we got it at a very keen price. But it started through that. So one of the um, teams racing in the Tour de Lanzar just reached out to me socially. To browse Science in Sport's full range, go to scienceinsport.com. Well, what about Jumbo Visma then? Because, Francois, in our Tour de France preview, we were talking about how the whole dynamic might be the other way around and how Jumbo Visma would want to put the pressure on to UAE Team Emirates and Pogacar in particular and just test his legs, make sure that, you know, there's no... or try to see if there's any weakness in Pogacar after the layoff. And, and just put them to the test. But actually, it was completely the other way around. UAE went very hard on the climb. They had numbers there. Grosschartner was the first one to really open it up. And they very much put Jumbo Visma on the back foot. But when they were asked the question, Jumbo Visma, they weren't able to close up the gap, but they were there in numbers, weren't they? Yeah, they were there in numbers. They were actually 
there before UAE, you know, leading the way. You, you had the impression they were trying to control, to kind of impose a pace and see what the others would be doing. Uh, I think they were surprised by the aggression of uh, UAE and, and level of form of all these guys. I mean, Adam Yates, obviously, Felix Rosschartner, as you said. Uh, and yeah, I, I think we were both, I mean, everybody said since the beginning of the tour that uh, because the, the supposedly, you know, ill form or, uh, how, or you know, average form of Tadej Pogacar, uh, you know, Vingegaard wouldn't win the Tour in the, in, the, in the third week, but, you know, needed to take as much time as possible in the first. Uh, from what we saw today, that's mm. not the case. I mean, UAE seems to be, you know, seem to be a better uh, outfit. They played the, the, they played the game probably yeah they're outwitted maybe the Jumbo uh, Visma unless unless you know unless we play in uh, you know three or four bands billiards and uh, and Jumbo decided well okay go for it you know we have plenty of time we're here to win the Tour de France uh, one important factor that Adam Yates uh, signal was that to win a stage and all the yellow jersey on the first day takes a lot of pressure mm. off mm. the team so UAE now can play it conservatively in many ways because, well, they won a stage, they showed their strength, and it's now up to Jumbo Visma to, you know, pick up the uh, the gauntlet. What about everyone else who was up there? I mean, Victor Lafay was a real eye-catching rider. I mean, I was surprised to see a Cofidis jersey up there, you know, in that company. I mean, Francois, briefly, what do you know about Victor Lafay? It's, it's not the first time he's, do, he, he's done it. I mean, Victor Lafay is a very, very aggressive uh, rider is always, uh, you know, on uh, in the front attacking. Uh, is is it's a little bit like Fred Wright in the in the sense that he r loves to, you know, uh, ride in the front, especially in the in the in the. He's, he's got different qualities because he's not such a good finisher as uh, Fred Wright can can be. But he's, he's been for the past two seasons. He's been in this kind of scenario many times, you know, mm. attacking on the final 10k's, uh, being in the mix. I I, I think he probably lacks the. Uh, you know the little extra gear to 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 win a stage, but I mean to find yourself there with Jonas Vingegaard and Talai Pogacar, you know, shows guts to say the least. He won a stage of the Giro in 2021, of course. Did, so yeah. yeah, he has had the pedigree, and well, our old mate Thibaut Pino up there as well, fourth. If we thought that this was mm. going to be a kind of farewell uh, tour for Pino. Him and, crucially, David Godou were in that split. I thought that was really interesting because a lot of question marks about Godou's form after uh, a pretty disappointing Dauphiné. Yeah, but for, for Thibaut Pinot to sprint, you know, in that in that final stretch, and, and, and obviously to try and overtake Tadej Pogacar if he could, is kind of an indication both of his form uh, and the Pyrenees are near. Uh, you know, he, as you know, he rode the Giro, so he might not be... As, so good in the third week but you know the, the Pyrenees are uh, there they won't be decisive for the GC riders and Pino showed his form and also showed his determination he wants to be there up front so yeah it's, it's, it's good news for Groupama today and two riders you know really well Mitch uh, Mike Woods was fifth on the stage and Jai Hindley on his Tour de France debut seventh a Giro d'Italia champion of course so we know his pedigree but huge boost to their confidence to make that crucial split and 33 seconds it's a significant gap isn't it on the first day it's really significant I think it comes down to a few things too you know not, not to take anything away from Lafay but I think positioning was really underestimated on that last climb because of the crowds 
I happened to speak to Mike Woods after the stage and I asked him how was it out there and one of the things he pointed out was it was so, as good as the crowds were, they were a detriment to us. In the front group, you can imagine this, he said he got caught behind Alaphilippe at one point and he practically had to ride over someone's foot just to get around. So positioning, I know positioning is important, you don't think about that on those steep climbs, positioning was so important on this because they were running, riding through a tunnel of crowds. So those gaps, apart from the pace, if you were just in the right position, and you, you that was a big element of it. And I was, I was ha- so, so happy to see Jai Hindley right up there too because there's this cloud hanging over his head, especially from Australians, is that, okay, you've, been, you've done the Giro, can you get to the tour? The, t- the tours a different kettle of fish. What's going to happen? But look, so far, we're, we're one day in. But... He's showing, us, he's showing that he can deal with the pressure as well. This expectation this is something that we see with a lot of riders. Managing expectation. They come up, they have a great result. How do they go on and continue to manage their expectation? As a GC guy, it's even harder than, say, a sprinter maybe. Mitch, you mentioned the crowds on the climb. We knew the Basque Country was going to embrace the tour. It was absolutely crazy up there. Our friend Simon Gill, the photographer, was on the last climb. And they had barriered sections of it but the crowd had just ignored the barriers and stood in front of them instead. And it, well, as Mike Woods told you, Mitch, it was single file all the way up. Uh, Simon got a little too close to the action and one of the team cars drove over his foot and we're very much hoping that that is okay. Um, He's pretty convinced he hasn't broken any bones, so we, we hope that's the case. But Mitch, we were talking about the difference in the sort of rhythm of the opening day when it's a time trial or when it's a road stage. And, well, let's debut our new segment, Turbo Durbo on Tour, with uh, your catch-up with your very good friend, Luke Durbridge of Jaco Alula. On Tour with Luke Durbridge. Here we are, the Daily Durbo Report. Mate, let's hear about it. Day one done. An amazing day for you guys. First, me tell me about your thoughts of the day, though, before we get to Yates' ride. Uh, well, what can I say? Um, I would say the least stressful Tour de France first stage I've ever had. You're kidding? Nah, because it was hard, it was, it was better. Like, because no one could actually move. You know, when you were, you were pinned in the line, you had to just stay where you were. The sprinters stayed out the hell out of the way, so you had about 50 guys actually just sat up. So that was uh, much better. And sure, the run into that climb was, was gnarly, but man, like, it wasn't as half as many crashes as it normally is and uh, because it was hard. So, yeah, I didn't mind it. I mean, oh, half a month, actually, but sorry, my language, but super hot, super hard. And, uh, but yeah, I actually, yeah, stress-wise, it was a lot easier, but power-wise, it was a lot harder. The crowds, though, I was speaking to Mike Woodsy before, and he said the crowd was almost a hindrance because of the front guys were getting stuck behind riders who were getting dropped. It was so narrow. What was your experience of the crowd? Oh, man, single file. And as you know, Basque Country, it's just like it was single file, and you were literally could not move. Even in Group Better, you had to just take your turn. I was track standing on the climb, couldn't move. Everyone individually going through the tunnel. I just, just couldn't move. Like We came in, and I, like once I got out of the tunnel... The uh, group pedo was 100 metres in front. That's insane. Yeah. So was it was it like a positive thing because like you weren't you oh, didn't have to race. It's great. I can understand it would be a, a massive hindrance to the guys racing in the front, but uh, for us, I was just soaking it up. And then this corner around here just like brought a tear to your eyes. That much that much noise. It's awesome. Tell me about Yatesy. Lastly, let you get in the bus. 
amazing ride from him. I know you probably haven't, don't know really what happened in the finish, but he was a driving force with his brother. Can you imagine those two being away? How many times they would have said to each other, oh, you're younger, this is a Tour de France win, who's going to win? And just, I was imagining what was going through their head. I don't know, what do you think about that? Oh, I just think, like, when would you, I'm just thinking back to two brothers that would have gone one, two and a Tour de France stage, probably Andy and Frank Schleck. It's probably the last time I've ever think that would ever happen. And this is this is Adam's first ever Grand Tour stage win, you know. Simon's got two stage, Tour de France stage wins and a lot of Giro wins and Vuelta's, so I'm sure Adam was just hungry to uh, put it to his brother. But You're saying that he gave it to him? So you're, yeah, I'm pretty sure Simon said he's giving it to Adam. <laughs> Make sure you tell Adam that. Great, great start for you guys, and it really sort of eases that pressure, and now you guys can just roll on from here? Yeah, exactly. It's really good. I mean, it was a hard start, but... Uh, yeah, he's, I mean, he hasn't raced since bloody Romandy, so you've got to hand it to the guy. And once he hits the target, he hits it, so it's exciting to go. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Well, there are always losers on the opening stage of the Tour de France, whether it's a time trial or a road stage, and today was no exception. There's some damage on the GC. Uh, just riders who lost time were in the wrong place at the wrong time. But two riders who were definitely in the wrong place at the wrong time two big riders as well Richard Carapaz of course a Grand Tour champion he's won the Giro d'Italia before the team leader of EF Education Easy Post and Enric Mass of Movistar well they crashed on a descent with 22 kilometers to go and were both down for a long while uh, Richard Carapaz did get back on his bike and he reached the finish what was it now he lost 15 minutes, 24 seconds. So any GC hopes are over for the Ecuadorian rider. So he will slot back into EF Education, Easy Post kind of roster of stage hunters. And Enric Mass is the first rider to pull out of the race. We, we think underwent the concussion protocol and uh, didn't get back on his bike and continue the race. Now this morning at the start, not far from the football stadium, I spoke to... Tom Southern. Rendezvous au bus. Who is it outside the team bus? Okay, Tom, the big question coming into the tour is how is Richard Carapaz and do you know what kind of went wrong over the second half of the Dauphiné? Uh, I mean, he's good. I think, um, you know, obviously he had his problems back in December um, and I think that, you know, towards the start of the Dauphiné, um, he was really eager to sort of prove a point. Um, but he was still on like an upward trajectory so he wasn't quite ready to make that point and I think that um, probably had a little bit of an effect on the way the rest of the race went um, but things have gone really well since then he's in good shape I mean we're taking it sort of step by step because I think you know these days in, in the modern Tour de France if, if I mean Pagatcha is probably going to prove me wrong now after Liège but like if you have a setback at any stage be it December or January or February like already that starts to count um, because everything's so the level's so high um, and you see that you know normally a winner basically has like an absolutely perfect run it's quite rare these days they have a, a patchy start to a 
to a season or even an off season. So um, he's in good shape. Uh, how that fares relative to you know the, the big GC battle, we're going to have to wait and see. I think he's going to be on an upward trend through the race, which is good because the race gets harder and harder. I mean, it starts hard and gets harder. Um, so uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, yeah. We, we're going to see. What was the nature of the setback in December? Um, so he had, uh, uh, basically, it was, it was just a tooth um, operation. I think he had, then, went, then had the complication, went slightly wrong, and um, yeah, took, took more time than we thought. And has, had, has that had a bit of a bearing on the rest of the team selection? Because the rest of the team there looks like there's a lot of opportunities. There's a kind of stage hunters, riders that could really seize an opportunity on any given day, really. Yeah, I mean, even though we signed Richard, you know, from like f from Ineos, from where he's come from, like we're not suddenly going to become that style of team. We are still the team that races the way that's true to the way this team races. Um, and I think, you know, it, it would have been like remiss of us to suddenly just bring seven guys purely to ride and keep Richard out of the window anyway, because it's not, it's not who we are. We would always have options for stages. We've done the GC with Rigo and we've put guys in breakaways and, you know, for quite a few years now. Um, and we, that's how we race and I think we're going to stay true with that, this team and with the team that we picked. I mean, that chat with Tom Southern really highlights the kind of craziness of the Tour de France, doesn't it? They spend weeks thinking about who to put in those slots. OK, the first five, six places may well be totally self-selecting and then there's a real agonising discussion about the last two places. I mean, EF Education Easy Post, perhaps in response to Carapaz and his disappointing Dauphiné, have packed their team with riders who could potentially win stages. We've seen Nielsen Paulis take the King of the Mountain jersey for the team, uh, but they have a lot of riders who now will be thinking they obviously won't be happy that Carapaz has lost all that time but they will be thinking this opens the way to a lot more chances for them oh, totally this is it opens up an opportunity but it is very difficult as a team to switch that mentality it doesn't happen overnight you've got to really recalibrate and the whole energy has got to change in the team for everyone to get excited again to go for their own opportunities um, when you've come into it to support a GC rider, you're really ready for that role and you've switched your mentality to that. And suddenly it's like, hey, you, you've got an opportunity now, win a stage. It sounds maybe from the outside, you're like, well, what are you talking about? You just go win a stage. You've got to really think about it differently. You've been preparing for months talking about this plan and suddenly now you've got to actually try and switch your mentality and go for those opportunities. Don't forget that despite his age, there's, there's, there's another GC rider in the EF team, that's Rigoberto Uran. And I was... It's funny how I get a Spanish accent when I'm in Spain. <laughs> but anyway, I, I was at the EF bus trying to get news of Richard Carapaz and, uh, and, and there was the, the Rigo bunch, you know, was there, the, the fans, you know, screaming, Rigo, Rigo, Rigo. And, and really... the the star of the of the day for the for the for the fans around the EF bus was definitely Rigoberto Uran, who now finds himself, uh, you know, whether he likes it or not, you know, in the in the, in the, the position of again as the, the 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 main GC guy. But that is how he likes it. He likes to just stay under the radar. That's the very Rigo style, yeah. just under the radar, sneak, you know, not sneak, but like slowly come up, and that's his that's his but mentality. The, but the funny thing was. 
Well, the, there was so much. I, I talked to our old friend Matt Rabin, who's the physiotherapist for the team. He, he didn't know what was was wrong with Richard Carapaz. And when Carapaz arrived at the bus, he, he struggled to get into the bus because of the Rigo fan club there. <laughs> and 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 he, he, he briefly, you know, came at the, you know, at the door uh, of the bus, you know, up the stairs. And and as the crowd were, were chanting Rigo, Rigo, he was kind of, you know, emceeing the thing, you know, like saying, you, you know, like making gestures like 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 uh, maestro. So so obviously, and he, he had a big smile on his face. He was like now, you know, up passing the baton, you know, mm. to to Rigo in many ways. I should run through some of those riders who who have chances to win stages. I mean, they've got somebody for every terrain, haven't they? Uran, we've mentioned. Paulus, we've mentioned. But there's Alberto Betiol. There's Esteban Chavez. There's Magnus Court. I mean, even Andre Amador and James Shaw. I mean, James Shaw riding his first Tour de France, of course, um, maybe won't get the, the you know being first in line for the opportunities. But that is uh, quite quite a lot of winning potential and quite a lot of uh, ambition to kind of funnel into uh, a kind of uh, a cohesive plan and Mitch you were saying all day today that maybe there's no surprise or perhaps no coincidence that they've uh, brought Juan Manuel Garate into the team for uh, sports director duties in this tour. Yeah it's a change you know Charlie Wigelius was you know typically the, the head director there you know especially for the Tour de France and I think Juan Manuel Garate he is generally um, looking after the the Spanish-speaking, um, native-speaking guys in the team. And he's he's got a different way of directing. I worked quite closely with him on the Vuelta Espana, the times that I rode. And I personally, I really loved working with him. I think he's got a really great way that he directs the team. And I think because of that sort of, you know, um, South American or Spanish-speaking connection... He's got that, those guys there, and he's going to be able to adapt this, this scenario very well. We had this same scenario, not the same scenario, a few years ago in the, in the Vuelta, where we lost our two GC men on the, early in the race, and we had to recalibrate and go through that. He's been through this before. I'm sure he's been through it a few times, but I know specifically this one time, he's going to be a great director for those guys to now recalibrate and go for this different tact. Enric Mas. Enric Mas, Francois. Yeah, the first casualty of the tour and the first big one. I mean, Enric Mas is kind of on a good day, Tour de France podium potential. Um, we've not seen that Enric Mas for quite a while now, have we? But uh, he crashed and didn't look great. And um, well, as we understand, went through the concussion protocol and didn't finish the race. I mean, what did you find out of the finish? Yeah, so I was trying to, to get a hold of my friend Yvon Le Danois, who is now, you know, the, the, the main DS for Movistar. He, he, he was with them, you know, in the past, went to Arkea Samsic, and he's now back with Movistar as they got rid of Jose Luis Arrieta. So there was a change of, you know, with, within Movistar, you know, bringing in Le Danois back to change their approach and the sometimes uncomprehensible tactics. But unfortunately for them, it, it, did, well, it, it didn't work at all. The Dauphiné was disastrous for Mass already, and now he's out of the race on day one. So I talked to uh, the, their press chief, uh, Sebastian Unswe, who is, uh, I think, related to the, to the big boss, Eusebio Unswe. How did, how did he get that job, Francois? <laughs> I mean, amazing. I, and, and he said... Uh, he's a good guy, though, no, isn't he? He's a great yeah. guy. And, and, and who said that, well, they didn't have all the details. You know, Enric Mas went to the hospital with Yvonne Le Danois. But, obvious, but as you said, uh, Lionel, they, they, he was there on the, on, the, on the tarmac. They asked him the, the usual questions. 
and, and it was a joint decision from the rider and the team and the and the team and the, the the race doctors as well who said no it's better if it doesn't you know continue the problem is that now with mass you know well the same as with ef you know yet they have to change their priorities they also have a gc contender in matthew jorgensen but unfortunately for them uh, Matteo Jürgensen also lost precious time today. Mitch, you spoke to Ruben Guerrero of the Movistar team, and I think you can hear in this clip the kind of disappointment. Imagine that, going into the tour with a bona fide GC rider. Okay, maybe not one sort of, you know, at, at boiling point, but still, Enric Mass is a classy rider. He's a kind of GC diesel, isn't he? And he would have maybe come into his own as the race went on. But you can hear in Guerrero's uh, voice here the disappointment that their strategy has to be ripped up and they have to go again tomorrow. Ruben, the news about Enric now, it's pretty new, I guess. You don't really know the extent of the injuries or anything like that. You know that he's out of the race. How, what's your thoughts and how does that change things? Well, uh, he's really... We didn't have a plan B, you know. Uh, maybe uh, in the, uh, every single rider will get uh, like option of a breakaway. But later, uh, Enrique uh, was the guy to do the podium, and these uh, the first days really shock on the system, and it's really painful for us because we did a lot of work with him and really believe in him as a team, as a cyclist to do a big GC result here. And now we have to fix the tactics and ideas and uh, see what we can do the rest of the tour. Well, I think we can say that the Grand Depart in Bilbao has been a success. I mean, the city has felt really buzzy all day today. It was yesterday as well. There's some fantastic sort of landmarks. I mean, the Guggenheim is stunning. And, uh, well, we had a very nice dinner last night, didn't we, Mitch? L'étape de demain, le dîner d'hier. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. To be fair, Mitch was suffering a bit from the jet lag, struggling to keep his <laughs> eyes open. The, the beret was kind of slipping down over the eyes by the time the main course arrived. But Francois, perhaps you can remember what we had to eat. Yeah, uh, well, I know I had uh, cod at Ala Biscayna, which is, you know, Biscay being the, the uh, region we're in. Uh, and so I knew that this was one, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a fish person, I like fish very much, especially in Spain. So, well, yesterday I went for uh, called a la Biscayana, and, and to, today I went for Merluza, mm. uh, which was even better, you know. So, and uh, what did you guys have? Can't, I can't really well, remember. We had croquetas to, to start mm. with. Uh, we had a pretty strong Rioja. Uh, wine which came after a few beers so maybe you know we started up a little bit too hard mm -hmm. I don't know well we, we in, <laughs> in uh, gastronomy and uh, yeah the wine terms we probably had a sort of punchy stage with six or seven categorized climbs on <laughs> didn't we uh, but it was a very enjoyable evening and my birthday lunch today was fantastic ham egg and chips perfect for the Anglo-Irishman that I am uh, but it was ham on with uh, a couple of fried eggs and some uh, some some chips but Mitch what is on the menu for the riders tomorrow stage two it's entirely in the Basque country isn't it and it's gonna be another sort of mini San Sebastian classic I guess it is it is it's a long stage too you know 208.9 kilometers they're heading out of Vitoria they're heading across to Don Osta San Sebastian they've got five category climbs but they're not big climbs you know they've got one cat two two cat threes two cat fours pretty similar today 
a lumpy day. And in between all that stuff, it's going to be just up and down all day, twisty roads, racing through here. I've never done the tour of the Basque Country, but I've done Vuelta's through this area. It's taxing. We saw it today. It's exciting, hard racing. So tomorrow's going to be another one of those. I think what's interesting is the first 40K are dead flat, and there's a sprint after 40K. I'm wondering whether that's going to be somewhat contested if guys thinking about the sprint jersey now and the sprinters don't have much else to do for the rest of the day than just hang on and get dropped. Maybe we could see some trains happening. I'm excited. I want to see lead-out trains started. I'd love to see that happen at the start of the stage, but maybe the break will be gone too. Um, you know, they've got the famous climb from the San Sebastian Classic. The Jessica Bell. <laughs> Thanks, Francois. That's 16.5K to go. It's a Category 2. It's 8K at 5%. That is what the climb is deciding. That's the climb that decides San Sebastian Classic. That is going to decide the stage tomorrow. I don't know if it's the exact running, but there's not many other run-ins you can do, so it's going to be very, very similar to San Sebastian. That's more or less the stage in a wrap. Hard day. It is a hard day, and the crucial thing will probably be the distance from the top of the final climb to the finish. Matt White was making the point that that does throw uh, things back in the favour of maybe Wout van Aert, you know, for Jumbo Visma. But other riders will be looking forward to that who've won the San Sebastian Classic before. Nielsen Paulus, of course, in 2021. Julian Alaphilippe, maybe he'll have a better day tomorrow. Even, even Mikhail <laughs> Kwiatkowski of uh, Ineos Grenadiers, who won the San Sebastian Classic in 2017. And, of course, Adam Yates. I mean, could Yatesy. he win, yeah, could he win in yellow tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to get into speculation. Um, but I should just... Uh, talk about some of the kilometer zero episodes that we've got coming up before we wrap up tonight's episode now yesterday friday we released shooting the tour an episode about a film called enter the slipstream a group of american filmmakers made a film about the ef pro cycling team during the covid tour 2020 and the film featured francois and our dear late friend richard moore uh, it's a really nice film actually it's kind of I don't want to compare it to the Netflix series, but it's kind of the Netflix series, but with the kind of the pauses for breath reinserted back in, because I think the joy and the beauty of the Tour de France is that there is an ebb and flow to the action. It isn't 100% full gas day in, day out. There are moments of calm, and this film really captures it. If you're in America, you can watch that film on Peacock, which is NBC Sports streaming service. Uh, but I made a kilometre zero talking to the filmmakers. And tomorrow morning, Sunday, we don't normally release kilometre zero on a Sunday, but because we're starting in Vitoria, the capital of the Basque country, uh, we asked Laura Messiger, who is, of course, former host of El Cycling Podcast, but very familiar to viewers of international Eurosport and she also hosts uh, Grand Tour coverage on uh, Spanish Eurosport. She went to see Joseba Belocchi. Now it's 20 years since Belocchi had that terrible crash on the descent into Gap, the one where Lance Armstrong then suddenly cut across country. Belocchi of course finished on the podium at the Tour three times, he's a very proud Basque and uh, well it's a really nice interview and that will be out tomorrow and our thoughts on the Basque Country will be out on Monday we'll be back tomorrow to talk about the, the second instalment of these kind of mini Tour de France classic stages won't we? I mean I tipped the second place rider last night who's going to finish second Ooh, tomorrow? Who's your tip? Yeah Ah, 
I don't know. I, I, there's something I really need to do because I'm, I'm pretty jealous. I'm the Frenchman here. I'm the only one of you without a beret. So I really must buy one. And since I've got, I also bought like, you know, round glasses. I want a red beret to look like Captain Sensible. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, uh, Captain Not Sensible, Mitch Docker, thank you very much. Thank you. Good to be off and running. And Francois. Thank you very much. We're not even pushed for time because they eat until midnight here in Spain. And as we speak, Simon Gill, he's won £117.50 because his bet on Simon Yates was an each-way bet. So well done. I mean, I'm not condoning betting because it's not for me, really. Uh, But well done, Simon. The beers are on you. (laughs) This is Seb Piquet, the voice of Radio Tour, sitting at the back of the back. Well, before we go, chaps, let's hear from our very good friend, Seb Piquet, who, of course, is the voice of Radio Tour. He's there relaying all of the information about the race to everybody working on the race, not least the sports directors in all of the team cars. And, well, he's going to be sending us some updates throughout the race. And I think his thoughts about the Grand Depart in Bilbao echo our own in that the last couple of days have felt a little bit low-key, but... The Basque fans have obviously been waiting for the actual cycling to start. Bonjour, bonjour. Uh, hello from the finish line in Bilbao. What a day today was. Uh, um, to be honest, the last uh, three days have been very busy, but a little bit disappointing because I felt that the atmosphere in Bilbao and in the Basque country wasn't fantastic. It didn't feel like it was the Tour de France starting. And today was completely different. To be perfectly honest, never have I been so frightened today in a bike race. Um, more than Paris by Roubaix, more than at the Alpes d'Huez. Uh, it was crazy going up those uh, final climbs of this first stage. We hit, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 spectators um, hearing bang, bang, bang on the side of the road. Not always a very pleasant sound, but we have to carry on. The race has to carry on. It was pretty scary. Uh, And, uh, well, we went through it. And at the end of the day, what a finale with the Yates brothers managing a one and two can't wait for tomorrow the cycling podcast was created in 2013 by richard moore daniel freeb and lionel burney Kilometre Zero at the 2023 Tour de France is available for Friends of the Podcast subscribers. There's an archive of more than 100 special episodes with new ones released throughout the year, and an annual subscription costs about the same as buying a cup of coffee a month. If you want to, you can pay more. For the first time, you can also sign up with a monthly subscription, so if you just want to see what it's all about, that might be the best option for you. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com and once you've subscribed, you'll get an email with instructions for how to add the feed to your favourite podcast app in just a few clicks. Support The Cycling Podcast by becoming a friend of the podcast.